Welcome to David and David on Real Estate. Join us as we explore the ins and outs of the real estate market. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the David on David on Real Estate podcast. And we are today on episode number 37. Wow, time flies when you're having fun. And today we are having a special guest, Richard Silver. Welcome, Richard. How are you? Thank you. So nice to have you on here. We've all got a a big day tomorrow with the in-person live buzz conference. And we had Virginia on uh, our podcast a couple weeks ago talking about it. And uh, and we talked with her off the podcast, on the podcast. She's always very excited to have you part of it. You're a big part of the event uh, tomorrow, Richard, starting off bright and early in the morning, right? Yeah, first thing in the morning, I'll be there for 7.30, and I'm coming from downtown Toronto, so it's uh, it's a bit of a chore to get out there, but uh, I'll make it, and uh, I'll be awake and ready to go. Well, that's yeah, why they invented the first, coffee. Yeah, exactly. This is the first time in two years we've actually had face-to-face. I think the last time poof, was February 2020, when we were a lot of us were at the Orea Conference in Niagara. And right after that, everything shut down. It's nice to get back so to the person and, and see all the faces. And I think everybody's been just itching to, um, you know, to get together. We had uh, at Sutton Summit, we had our award ceremony the uh, the previous week and just the buzz in the room and, and, you know, seeing people's smiles and be able to count their teeth as you're talking to them. It's just such a radical concept, <laughs> right? But I think we're all itching to get back to that normalcy and, and, and to, to get back to how things used to be. I think people are going to be going through their closets today to find out if they have clothes that still fit them. And if they're not, you know, they're, you know, other than sweatpants and sweatshirts and, uh, you know, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see that actually, you know, has anybody gained weight? Has anybody lost weight? Has anybody, uh, you know, done, uh, you know, done anything that's changed their appearance? God knows. Well, so. you get to make a fashion statement just with your glasses, Richard. Fabulous. Yeah, they're, they're my Zoom glasses. I, um, you know what? I, I always found that if you go to a conference or you're with a group of people, if there's something that makes you stand out a bit, then they always go, oh, yeah, yeah. You know the guy with the purple glasses or the green glasses or the turquoise glasses? So uh, these, are, these are my turquoise glasses for Zoom. So, but I'll wear them tomorrow for you. Cool. Richard, tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, uh, you know, I, I was Ooh. reading your uh, uh, your about me section on your website and going through some materials online. And <laughs> you have an amazing history in this industry. Yeah, I've been in the business for about 42, 43 years. I started, believe it or not, I was a performer. I used to do television shows. I was one of those backup dancers, uh, you know, or or stage shows. And... I had a bit of a I had a bit of a challenge with uh, uh, with uh, a hip that I hurt during a rehearsal, and I was going to be off for six or eight weeks. And I was absolutely a novice, but I just bought a house, and I thought, you know what, I better learn, I better learn about real estate. And before you know it, I was in real estate. I was making more money than I'd made the years before as a dancer. That's that's for sure. And I just took off. And then about twenty years ago. Um, 
after I'd already been in the business for 20 years, I decided, you know, it's time to start to give back. So I got involved with the Toronto Real Estate Board. Uh, then I was a director there. Then I was a president there. Then I was... I went to the Canadian Real Estate Association, so I got to travel across Canada and meet all sorts of people with all sorts of different agendas and, and issues as we crossed Canada. And um, then early on, Virginia and I first met, I was going to the Inman Conference about 15 years ago in New York City, and she came and I basically introduced her to a lot of people and we did what we call a, a real estate bar camp. And we came back to Toronto and we started doing real estate bar camps, which is basically um, you know, the precursor to the Buzz Conference. After about four years though, I just, uh, everybody was doing these sort of, you know, conference uh, conferences that were basically dealing with all sorts of discussions around everything and they were, they were Unconferences, really, and uh, you know, buzz conferences sort of like that. It's you know, we, we pick the topics, uh, we get the people to speak on them, and hopefully, it's of interest to uh, the the people who attend. It's usually about the business, what's happening, prop tech, uh, what's happening uh, legally with uh, prex and uh, oh, sorry, public personal real real estate corporations. <laughs> And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's usually, there's usually something for everybody at these conferences and especially the networking. That's the biggest part. Mm. I remember the first time I went to Inman Connect uh, probably about four years ago. I don't think I could sleep for like a week after the conference ended. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just, there is so much information um, and, and there is a buzz created and, you know, you're rubbing elbows with some of the top performers and the top personalities, you know, in yeah. the world at the Inman conference, right? Because I mean, they, they, yeah. you know, a very special event uh, to anybody listening that's in the real estate industry, highly, highly recommend that uh, you, you go and you attend. They have two conferences, one in New York, one in San Francisco. They are both yeah. absolutely mind-blowing, fabulous. You, you know, you get to talk to, the newest companies out there, you get to see the newest products and they really, you know, Brad really gets it. He understands it, yeah. you know, and uh, I, I love how he puts them together. They're very short, they're to the point, they're, they're high energy. And, and, you know, Virginia, to her credit, you know, she structured her, her conference in a very similar fashion. And, uh, you know, I remember the first time I went to Buzz, that, that happened two years ago. And, and, I mean, it was very similar. And it was so nice to see somebody doing it on the same scale uh, here in our market and bringing right. all the influencers under one roof. Well, what's great about the Buzz Conference as well is it, it actually is, uh, you know, everybody volunteers their time. That goes without saying. Uh, we rent the space. Uh, that's all paid for. Food is paid for. But I mean, it's very low cost. It's uh, just around three hundred dollars for for the attendance, and um, you know that really is you know you get you get to shake hands and meet a lot of people in the business, but you also get to hear from you know some of us who are legends. That means we're old, and some of us who are uh, brand new kids on the block, and you know been in the business two, three, four years, and they're just you know hitting it out of the park. And we want to know why and what makes them different. So uh, there's always things to learn from uh, people who are successful and, you know, 
one of the great things, one of the things I've been very lucky with in my business is, I, is I've really forced myself to try almost everything. Certain things work, certain things don't work. But I think uh, having had the experience and I can go back to a conference and say, I tried this, it didn't work. I tried this, it did work. You know, And that kind of thing from somebody out in the field, I think is very helpful. I know it's helpful for me when I listen to other people. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a given that the people they have speaking there, uh, maybe present company included, are all successful in, in some degree. They don't have, they don't invite people that aren't successful or haven't found a way. But like yeah. you say, Richard, it's good to hear about from people some honest reflection on what didn't work. Because I think we've all yeah. gone through some of that in our careers. Um, you know, everybody does. So you can't just go up there and say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a superstar and this is how I did it. Because nobody's really got that story. Everybody's got failures yeah. along the way and trial and error. Right. And yeah. you really need some some honest feedback from from the people that are speaking. One of the earliest uh, uh, panels that I ever was involved with this is many, many years ago. And I've, I've tried to keep it in, in keeping with the panels I, that I do is it's always great to have somebody who's very successful and they've done it themselves and they've pushed themselves. And then there's the, that one person who doesn't really know what they were doing, but they outsourced. And that outsourcing is just as important because they went, they tried to find the right person to do the job and they let that person do it. And that's always, they're always a very interesting part of the conversation because rather than somebody, I mean, I used to write my own blogs constantly. I used to write my own website. I used to do everything myself. And at a certain point, you just have to start outsourcing. You have to almost try and clone yourself these days uh, just to keep up. Yeah, you get pulled in a lot of different directions in this business. <laughs> I think, you know, yeah. as, as, a, as a sole entrepreneur, um, which, you know, a, a, lot of, a lot of realtors still practice real estate with that mindset that, hey, you know, it's me and, you know, I'm going to tackle it all, right? Like I'm yeah. out there showing appointments, I'm, I'm out there, you know, like the, the little things we don't even think about right? Doing my own taxes, right? Like it, it's yeah. everything that comes along the way with running your own business. And you know what? You get burnt out. You know, you there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a man out there who I love by the name of Bruce Turkel. And he has written a couple of books. And one of the things he says, and I'd tell you the same thing, David, if you don't have an assistant, you are an assistant. So you've got to start, you know, if you want your business to grow and big, get bigger and you've got to start working with people who know what they're doing as well and hire and you've got to sort of, you know, give them, give them the right to, to go ahead and make suggestions and make changes and, and say, yeah, these, these are good ideas. I'm going to listen to somebody else. Yeah, that's a hard point to get to, uh, you know, at least I've found that yeah. difficult because, you know, I, I, like I trust my own work, to, you know, as a lawyer, I, you know, because I know I'm going to write something, check it, proofread it, go over it again, think about it again before I put it out. So it, it's hard to delegate. I've, I've learned the hard it way. It's really hard to delegate and trust somebody else to do it. And, and uh, it took me a long time. Like, uh, you yeah. know, now, you know, I've got some fabulous associate lawyers, you know, that I can really trust and get things out there. And I even did it last night. You know, we, uh, there was a change in the non-resident uh, speculation tax that was announced. 
And uh, my partner, Jonathan, sent out an email circulating to the lawyers saying, oh, there's, there's been a change. Someone should write a blog on it. So this morning I said, okay, I'll do the blog. And you know, he writes back, no, it's already done. One of our associates you know, did it already. And I, I never thought Good. someone else could do it. I should do it. I'm going to do it because, yeah. you know, because it's got she'll do a better job it. than me. She'll do it. She'll yeah. do a way better job than me. So yeah. it's, it's a hard lesson to learn, but you have to, you have to trust others. Yeah. Yeah, you do. You have to trust others and you have to you have to know that they're going to do a, a good job and hopefully even a better job than you would do, especially when it comes to, you know, writing. Uh, one of the things we always forget as well <clears throat> is because we're so immersed in the industry that we don't we write as if we assume that the people we're talking to know exactly what we're talking about. And a lot of times they don't, especially buyers or sellers. They really don't. We're not speaking the same language. So sometimes when you get somebody who's not as immersed as we are in the business, then the language becomes completely different. Now, we won't even go near lawyers because God knows you guys have a whole language that we none of us really understand. Yeah, but that's my issue. I don't always write properly to the audience that's going to be reading it. We do blogs. It's really intended for, it's mostly real estate agents that are going to read it and some consumers right. are going to read it. I tend to write in legalese. I'm just- I know. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an old legend, as, as you say. I know. So I tend well, to write you know. that way. So it's better for me to give it to one of the associates because they can write in, in person speak that someone can actually understand if you're, you know, for the intended audience. They do that better than I do it. Yeah, one of the things I'm most proud of is years ago when I was on the uh, MLS committee at the Toronto Real Estate Board, is we were the I was part of the group that took some of those forms that we use in real estate and did them in plain language, and those plain language forms have been a big big help for all of us. They, uh, yeah. they you know, it's very hard once you've read those plain language forms to not understand what's going on. Believe it or not. I just bought a place in Puerto Vallarta. It closes tomorrow. Oh, and they sent they sent me they sent me they sent me the deed and the document. And I'm going, what the hell is this? <laughs> it's like it's number one, it's all in Spanish. But even when I do the translate, uh, I'm just shaking my head. I have no idea what it is. All I did is I had to check to make sure my name was right, my address was right, everybody else was right, <laughs> but that's it. But the the terminology. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Re, uh, real estate is just going crazy in Puerto Vallarta. I, um, one, one of my business partners on a venture I'm, I'm involved with lives out there. And uh, he actually closed on his house yesterday. And he told me oh. that in the last four months since he signed the uh, agreement to purchase to the time it closed, that his house went up $125,000. And there just continues to be just, just really high demand for real estate there. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I was on a I was on a podcast yesterday about international buying and selling because we've just seen you know and and one of the things I'm very lucky I'm part of a couple of networking groups that uh, that um, are extensive around the world and every time I talk to everybody they're all talking about how real estate is increasing in value. The only the only market that seems to be slow, believe it or not, right now is New York City. But above and beyond that, everybody is talking about how the prices are going up. And all you have to do is look at the, the sales on MLS these days. And you're going, oh, my God, that was $9.99. It just sold for a million three. That was $9.84. It just sold for $2 million. I mean, 
outrageous pricing. But yes, it's uh, it's interesting in that it's not just Toronto anymore. It's uh, all the whole province. Even when I've talked to agents around the province, they're all going, you know, uh, multiple offers in in Bancroft and you know such as. And I'm going, yeah. How do you like it now? Because <laughs> because years ago they used to laugh at us and say, you Toronto agents, you know, blah 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 blah, and you're you're doing really well with these multiple offers, and we're going. It's not a lot of fun. No, it's multiple not offers. Yeah. Multiple offers. If there's 20, 20 offers on a property, guess what? 19 agents get out there. They do the work and nothing happens for them. So it's, yeah, it's great to be the winning agent, but that doesn't happen that often. So uh, all of a sudden now you get outside of Toronto and I go, well, how do you like multiple offers now? And the agents go, not so much. It's not as much fun as we thought it was going to be. It's true, Richard. So, where do you where do you see real estate prices? I mean, you've been in the business for forty two years. I mean, your perspective on the industry is is immense, right? Yeah. Where do you see real estate prices going in in the near future, in the medium future, and you know, long term? Well, it's all location based, obviously, but I still think that prices. I, I think one of the things that I've started to realize, and maybe it's because I'm older now or whatever. I look back at when my parents bought or when I bought my first house. I bought my first house with a friend of mine. There were the two of us bought it together. We were not, uh, you know, we're two separate people. We bought this house. Uh, we sold it. My parents uh, lived with my grandparents for eight years after they got married and stayed in the same house. So you had multi-generational houses, in, you know, at the time. People are not doing the multi-generational thing uh, anymore. The, you know, young people want to be, they want to move out. They want to have their own house. And I think just in general, we're, we're under housed in Canada and probably in the States as well. If you go to China, uh, you've got three families living in one apartment. You go to India, three or four families living in one apartment. You go to, um, you go to Toronto and if two people have to share one bathroom, they're horrified. You know, it's got to have two bathrooms. It's got to have, you know, uh, I remember selling houses in Cabbage Town and uh, the original owners would walk in and they'd say, you know, when I, I grew up in this house and when my parents lived there, we had, there was my mom and my dad and there were four kids and my dad had the basement and the house had one bathroom and we survived. And now, if if people don't have a new modern bathroom with or or more, you know, if you have one bathroom, it, it, you know, it's a problem. Yeah. People won't accept it anymore. So we're, I think we're underhoused. I think that has to change. I think the government has to relax a bit on some of the. I mean, the great thing now is these uh, garden suites that are now being allowed. Uh, the laneway houses. Hopefully, that'll make a change. And God knows, right now in Toronto, there's about 225 cranes in the air right now. So it'll be a it'll be it'll be a big change to the way we live. But I think it's just coming. It's uh, we you know as I said, we're under house and we're very. We're very popular as a location for uh, foreign buyers, for schooling, for uh, people who want to come to Canada and just, you know, have health care, uh, be in a safe, safe, relatively safe environment. Uh, 
you know, there was a time everybody wanted to go to the States and now people, a lot of them just want to go to Canada. They're, they feel a lot safer here. So um, on, on one hand, we've done a great job at the country. On the other hand, we've made it more popular and it's going to be harder and harder for us to uh, keep up with it. Yeah, but the cranes is, are sort of interesting because, you know, we're getting all these condos built, which is great. But we've also learned the last couple of years that there's a lot of people that don't really want to live in condos indefinitely. It's sort of a short-term solution yeah. that they, they really appreciate the fact that they have a backyard and want some space. Yeah. And there's certainly a shortage of those type of places, especially yeah, when we're talking GTA. Definitely. But then, you see, I've gone completely the other way. I just sold my large house with a large garden and i decided i wanted to have a condo in toronto but also a condo or something down south it was part of a, a just a change um i got tired of the work i got tired of the working on the house and uh, those are my friends i mean i love them to death but they have the cottages and they work uh they work during the week on the house and then they work on the weekends at the cottage and they work you know at a certain point, you get to a certain age, you go, yep, been there, done that. It's time to really simplify life. So that's that's the stage I'm at. But I'm Yeah, no, and that makes sense. Yeah. But I'm sort of referring to some of the younger generation. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, you know, thought, okay, I'm going to buy a condo, and then we're going to get married, then we're going to have a kid, and, and we'll buy a bigger, buy a two-bedroom condo, and maybe we'll have a three-bedroom condo, and we have a second kid. And we'll because we love the downtown lifestyle, like yeah. you know, like yeah. like a New York type lifestyle. And then they realize there aren't two bedroom and three bedroom condos around to buy no. downtown, and not at no. a reasonable price. And then it's that generation that sort of saying, "Oh, you know what? I'm back to liking the idea of a backyard and be close, you know, walking distance to a good park and a good school." Oh, for sure. And then go find that right now. Yeah, in the city. Go find that. Well, you have to drive until you find it. That's the problem. <laughs> until you can afford it. Yeah, you drive away from the city until you get to a place where you can afford to live, and that's where you end up buying. But the good news, I suppose, after after um, COVID, if there is good news after COVID, is that we've learned that we can work remotely. You can work remotely from, you know, downtown Toronto, from Puerto Vallarta, from, you know, there's a lot of options now that people have finally realized. Um, I think people are surprised as like, I've always been one of these people who works from home. And my problem was always working from home meant that I was working too much because it was very easy to come home and instead of just relaxing to hop on the computer again or to do, do other work. And uh, uh, I think people are surprised that, uh, you know, the, the quality of the work that's happened over the past couple of years when people are working from home. And I think you're gonna see you are going to see a lot of people fight to go, fight to not go back to the office or to go back to the office on a very small scale. So it'll be interesting the changes that that makes in the demographics of, you know, of office space and uh, and living and seeing seeing what's important. We also now for the first time in a long time. Right now, I'm living in. Uh, we're waiting for a new condo to be finished, <laughs> of course, and um, we're living in a, a REIT that was built by yeah by one of the companies that is just building you know strictly purpose-built rentals and the 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 
what they seem to be doing now, and that's a big change, is there was a time when it was the apartment that was really, really important. And if it had a couple of uh, facilities outside the apartment, yeah, okay, you know, that was good. Now what we're seeing is these smaller apartments, but the facilities, the common areas are amazing. They're like boutique hotels. So you've got a lot of those opening up now. And people are opting for, yeah, I'm not going to spend as much time in my apartment, but I'm going to get into the, you know, they have like three or four boardrooms. They have um, uh, entertainment spaces, gyms, uh, hot tubs, uh, pools, you know, where they've really upped the value of the common areas rather than the apartment itself. So the apartments, you know, it's you go and you sleep there. It's like having having kids, uh, you know, and worrying about their their rooms the reality is at a certain point they just go to sleep there you you know they don't go out and and they're, they're out partying most of the time so they're sort of taking that attitude with some of the new buildings that they really have great facilities outside of the apartment such an interesting trend because <clears throat> when you take a look at the millennial population they're mm-hmm. not really buying real estate you know no, they're renting a lot of them are renting they, they want to remain fluid. They, they yeah. you know, want to have the ability to, you know, try different neighborhoods and, and yeah. hey, you know, I don't want to live uh, here. I want to be able to walk to, to this neighborhood and, you know, I'm going to be on the other side of the city next week. And, uh, you know, it, it's a very, very interesting um, form of ownership that we're going into, right? But the one market segment that we've seen explode is the whole investor segment. You know, mm-hmm. really buying real estate nowadays, right? If the millennials are not are not buying, but they need a place to to live, then yeah. who is buying real estate? Yeah, it's uh, people who you know. First of all, we we've never had a situation where the bank of mom and dad was so important in in purchasing, and so if a millennial has you know the bank of mom and dad to depend on, it's a lot easier for them to do actually do the purchase. But if not, then they're you know then they're renting and they're renting and they're 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 having a lot of fun in some of the, these new newer buildings that are purpose built rentals, and um, the other ones the the units uh, you know there's units selling. The building I I bought in there were thirteen hundred offers and three hundred suites. And most, you know, I would think a lot of them were investors. There were a lot of people who were buying to live in them or eventually live in them. But, you know, a lot of the new condominiums, by the time you you actually put in the offer and by the time it closes, it's four or five years. And, you know, there's a lot of life changes. You know, you didn't have a girlfriend. You do have a girlfriend. Not only do you have a girlfriend, you now have a wife and you have a child. So that one bedroom uh, apartment is not going to manage. But maybe you keep it, you hold on to it, and you lease it out. And then, you know, hopefully uh, at one point you get to sell it and make some money and do well on it. Yeah, that's why the assignment market is so strong right now. We're getting inundated with assignment transactions just like that. Because I know. Buying three years, five years ago, some of them, like you say, Richard, with the intention of, actually living there but a lot has changed in in five years and and people you know that that did intend to you know now say no i I don't want to live there anymore my circumstances have changed you know what are my options and one of them is is to assign it if to assign to negotiate so that's a really active part of the market right now 
And I leave that totally up to you guys. I just say, look, guys, uh, you know, here's here's the lawyer. I'll help you with this, but we're going to deal. We're going to let the lawyer handle it because assignments are, you know, they're not easy. They're they're very complicated, and they need somebody who knows what they're doing. And the uh, first thing I do is say, you know, we can look at this, but you're going to go to a good lawyer who understands assignments. Yeah, we actually get referrals from other lawyers. Yeah, on assignments because they don't want to yeah. do it, and and we yeah. do them. And because uh, you know most that do them hate them, even yeah. certain clerks in our office, you know, will don't hate doing them too. But we have enough that do really like them and they understand them. Yeah, either do them and you or you don't do them because they're they're a nightmare. So uh, yeah, they are a nightmare. They are a nightmare, and it's uh, you know. My intention was to always live in it. I bought it. I bought it. Uh, my intention was to live in it. I think there's going to be a lot of owner occupied, but it may be it may take a while until it gets up to that you know that amount of people that are owner occupied. That, uh, but you know, still on the other hand, you do need a place to live, and uh, some of the buildings and the builders. There's another major thing that I think is really, really important. We all get up caught up in the plan. So look at the plan for this, look at the designs for this, etc. I think we need to do a little bit more search research on the builders. What's their track record? How long have they been around? Uh, talk to people who bought in their last three buildings. Did they get what they were wanting? Did they get what they were promised? Um, you know, and I think that really brings down the number of builders that people might go to because you know builders are builders are wonderful they're they they're developers they love the project that they first launch but by that four year five year time when it gets to be the point where it's getting finished they've moved on to three or four other projects and oftentimes people are not happy with what they've got and that has to be you have to know that the builder has a track record and that people are happy with it. And, you know, if the plans are not uh, the, the best plans, you can make them the best plans. But it's more important, I think, to, you know, choose your condo by the time by by the builder rather than the floor plans or the look and design. Yeah, that, that's great advice. And, and you know what, you're um, you've got some builders now that are, are getting pretty creative in the way they're doing things. So there's always concern of clients. If I'm buying something and it's three to five years, are they, are they still going to be in business? Are they going to have the financial strength to actually put a shovel on the ground and get their financing? And what happens? My money getting tied up. So they got those concerns. Now there's builders are actually putting clauses in their agreement of purchase and sale, knowing that it's a three to five year window that gives them the right to come back to a buyer years later and say, um, we're going to terminate you unless you're prepared to, we have the right to renegotiate and resell this to you basically at a higher price. And we'll come mm. to you and give you the option to stay in at a higher price, or we'll give you back your deposit money and move on. And there's clauses we're finding right in these builder agreements, purchase and sell that basically say that. Yeah. And it never yeah. works the other way. If the price goes down, if the market goes down, we're prepared to give you a reduction in your purchase price. But that's why that's why I'm always horrified by somebody who tells me I went to a builder. I sat down in their office. I entered into an agreement of purchase and sale. They said I had the 10 days and I saved money because I didn't take that information to a lawyer. And I go, no, 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 no. First thing you do is you take it to a lawyer. You find out you, you know, you have them review the documents. You make sure everything is as it should be. 
because at the end of the day, I'll tell you, uh, you know, um, I've always pushed my clients. If I find out that they have the, they're in that 10 day period, that they take the documents to the lawyer, have them reviewed and have the lawyer do any amendments that need to be done uh, so that, you know, charges are fixed. Uh, there's, a, there's a number of ways that a lawyer can be involved, but that, that's the best money you'll ever spend is that 10 day period. Yeah, and I can tell you what we charge. Like our standard fee is $250 to review a builder's agreement of purchase and sale. So they're going to make that up in a second, usually just with finding one adjustment to put a cap on it or something. Like, yeah. You know, done. It's paid for already. Like it's easy. But what about their assignment rights or the rights to lease it or the, you know, there's so much involved. Like it just doesn't make sense to not have it reviewed. Oh, you got to have it reviewed. You have to. And, and, you know, there's a lot of people like myself. My first question is, you know, what, is there a dog policy? Can I, can I rent? Um, you know, can I rent it? You know, if I'm going to be gone for six months of the year, can I rent it to somebody else? A lot of those things, uh, they'll have to come up in the documents and you'll have to have somebody who knows what they're doing to read them. And money really well spent. Money really well spent. Yeah, we uh, we hammer that home. I think on almost every single podcast that we do, you know, the fact that you have to get status certificates reviewed, the fact that you have to get these agreements reviewed in the ten day cooling period, because there's so many different things that come together. And you know, when you're buying an apartment, you're not only buying the apartment itself, but you're buying the yeah. building as well. Yeah, I, I one of my clients, uh, you know, wanted to buy a property. When we were showing the property, we saw dogs all over the place, and it was great. And then when the lawyer looked at the documents, there was a no dog policy. And all it meant was the board was not enforcing the do no dog policy because the, the client saw dogs there. And we had to tell them, look, there's a chance you get a different board. And all of a sudden, they started enforcing that dog policy. And guess what? That dog that you depend on for you know a lot of emotional support or whatever, that dog has to go and and you know you bought it with a no dog policy you have to be aware of that so <clears throat> yeah and sometimes there's a there's a pet policy but it's but there's limitations you can have a dog but it's only a certain size and weight i know right? there was there were, there was one that i <laughs> i saw i won't i won't tell you the building it was in but their pet policy is as long as you can pick the dog up and walk it from the elevator outside, <laughs> you can keep the dog. Well, what, what could I've seen be I've wrong seen... with that policy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Except in case you have a 150 pound dog, uh, you know, how are you going to, yeah, of course. And you know, these weightlifters and, you know, I'm taking right. my 150 pound dog out, out for a pee. I mean, that's clearly discriminating against small, weak people. <laughs> There'll be a human rights complaint at some point. Exactly. Right? Or Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, no, but it's, uh, I, I had to laugh when I heard that. It was based on, you know, as long as you can carry the dog, you're okay. And I'm going... Yeah, the fact that the dog might eat your arm while you're carrying him has nothing to do with it. They don't like they don't have a psychological profile of the dogs required. You got to submit yeah. that to the condo board. Exactly. And also you have to worry about somebody who has a 155 pound dog. <laughs> you know, you know, what the, you know, whether they're, uh, whether the dog is a biter or a, or a fighter anyways. 
So yeah. it's uh, the, the, those policies are, you know, it's important to really review those documents. It's, uh, I can't tell you. Um, Richard, I wanted to switch gears a little bit um, and, sure. and just tap into your experience a little bit. I mean, you've been involved so much in organized real estate, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes I find myself as a realtor and, and, and a broker owner, um, you know, kind of questioning what are these organizations there for and how do they really impact me on an everyday basis, right? And sometimes we can be really removed uh, away from yeah. Korea and what they do on an everyday basis. Can you take us through a little bit and talk to us about, you know, why should we really pay attention to Korea? Why should we be paying attention to Korea? Why should we be paying attention to TREB? And why are these institutions so important? You know, um, I can tell you one of the major ones is the, is the MLS system. And that the minute you get outside of Canada and the United States, it's a dog's breakfast. Uh, Canada and the United States has an MLS system that basically works, it works well. Um, you know, there's always gonna be issues with it, but sometimes you get into other, part, other countries and there's very little cooperation between agents. Uh, you wanna see a property, you have to go to the, to the listing agent. Uh, they don't even have licensing. You know, I can tell you that in Mexico, Mexico, when I just bought, there's not really any licensing requirements. The only requirement you have is you have to be, have worked for over a year and fill out a couple of forms so that you can become a member of their MLS system. But that's the only thing. It's nothing to do with, um, you know, with going and taking courses and understanding how to write offers or, you know, what the, the pluses and minuses are. So basically at the end of the day, first, first and foremost is the MLS. And I think that's really important. And then, you know, um, historically there are issues that come up, uh, changes, um, you know, uh, how to do things like multiple offers, how to, you know, what, what, what we do when it comes to representation, all of those things, they were basically, um, they're, they're basically set uh, originally by the real estate boards. And now I think RICO or the, the councils um, are basically in charge of a lot of those things. So I look to somebody like Treb and I look at the format of the MLS and that's really important. Is it easy? Is it easy to do a CMA? Is the data up to date? Um, then I look to Korea and I, I think Korea is in a really interesting position because Korea basically deals with about a hundred different boards across Canada. And uh, I was on the MLS and Technology Council for Korea for a long, long time. Uh, we had we have Realtor.ca, and a lot of the a lot of the agents I don't think really appreciate how important Realtor.ca is. Realtor.ca very early on we made a decision, or the, there was a decision that was made that it would not have advertising. And I don't know if you looked at Realtor.com in the U.S. or any of the other. Uh, Zillow, or they're, they're, they've all got advertising, they've all got a, uh, you all have to sign on, you have to, uh, you know, but Realtor.ca basically um, gives, puts everybody on the same level playing field. If you have a listing, it gives the information, you're not paying, you're paying about 100 or $200 out of your, your CREA fees to have Realtor.ca. And you're not paying the, you know, absorbent prices on some of the, the um, 
the 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 websites like realtor.com in the states in the states uh, the national association of realtors sold half of their product so now it runs for profit and basically um, if you want to be on that site it costs you a lot of money to be there and to get the prime position that you have for you know 100 or 200 dollars a year on the on realtor.ca and also realtor.ca is pulling data from 100 different boards that have different names for different rooms different names for different floors different names for you know uh there's all sorts of different information and the and the and the languages so i look to korea for realtor.ca uh, I look to Korea uh, and Treb. Uh, Treb gets hit a lot because it's the largest board in Canada and probably North America as well. You know, by dealing with the Competition Bureau. Uh, the Competition Bureau, I was president of Treb when the Competition Bureau decided to come after us. And, uh, you know, spent, we spent a lot of money fighting the Competition Bureau over issues that really should have been dealt with by the Privacy Commissioner and the competition bureau uh, they wanted information that we knew would put our members in jeopardy because of privacy issues such as the name of the seller such as uh you know what commission you would you would accept as the buyer's agent uh, such as uh the price that it sold for uh before closing uh, a lot of things that we hold dear and and you know try not to disclose on a on a public website so those things have changed over the years uh yes but um you know organized real estate it does have a a job to do uh, but I, th I think part of the problem that we see as well is uh we do we just have to make sure that each of the bodies whether it's creo or ria or treb um they're just respectful of their the lane way that they're that they're in you know, Treb, obviously, uh, for a good part of Ontario, uh, Aria for the province of Ontario, and Korea for the government. Uh, three levels of government. You have three levels of, uh, of, uh, of government to lobby, uh, and that's important as well. We spend a lot of time and money over the land transfer tax, uh, over the foreign buyer sales tax. Uh, you know, you need those groups to you know, to lobby the government and, and, and FinTrack. FinTrack is a much watered down version of what they, what, what they originally wanted FinTrack to be. So it's much easier now to do FinTrack. The original, the original uh, proposition around FinTrack was very, very difficult. You know, it was very much harder than it is now. Well, so I can really imagine that. <laughs> yeah, you would have gone, oh my God. You know, it was wasn't just uh, getting the information off a, a license. It was really they were putting us in a situation where um, you were acting as the police. You know, you were taking a a, a police position, and uh, you know, you know, I'm sure David, uh, Mr. Corman, will tell you that's you know that's not your job. You know, yes, you have to you have to look at some documents, but you know, to make a decision as to whether you know somebody's you know the money the finances are legal or illegal or you know so we're we, they do they do do a good job they really do it's they there's frustrations always but they did 
they do do a good job. Yeah, but that's that's the problem we all run into with some of the, you know, the, the legislation as it grows and then the privacy laws and then FinTrack and things like this. And they do make you as an agent and make you as a lawyer do stuff that you really, that really not part of your job or shouldn't be part of your job. You shouldn't be policing certain things. You know, like in our profession, like we're policing fraud all the time. You know, yeah, like exactly. They want us to, you know, get ID and verify that these it's it's accurate ID and it's not fraudulent ID. And so all of a sudden, like we got to be experts. And my receptionist, when she when they hand her the driver's license, she's got to be able to tell if it's a fake or or a real one. Like, you know, like at some point, that's not our job. Like we've got to accept yeah. that they give us and you know look for yeah. certain red flags, but we're not we're not the police. Yeah, and that's that's one of the big problems with a lot of new agents as well. I find that they that they get into they get out of their lane away. They start making decisions or start advising people on certain things that they should never be involved with. You know, yeah. oh, I'm having problems with this. Oh, I'll look after it for you. Uh, no, that's not your job. Your job is to market the property and to get the best price possible for the house. Stay out of you know. Tell them to call their lawyer talk to the person who is is you know can actually do something about this don't don't think that by you know my job as being a great realtor is to do absolutely everything for the client uh, just remember what it is that your job is be very clear on that and be clear on it with your client as well and if they want you to do things that are not in your wheelhouse you know you have to say you know it's really something you need to talk to your lawyer about. It's really you need to speak to your bank manager. It's really you need to speak to your mortgage broker about. You have to just stay in your wheelhouse. Yeah, and we talk about that all the time on these podcasts, having a good team around you and how important mm -hmm. that is for every agent. And it goes back to your comments earlier about about delegating. Like You have to know what you can do and, yeah. and you have to delegate it. So part of the delegation is to delegate to that team of other experts that the mortgage broker, the lawyer, the ho the home inspector, yeah. etc. You know, the stager. Like you know, you you can't do it all, but you, but you have to have an ability to tell your client, "I can get you somebody. I can get you yeah. proper help or proper advice." Like that's an important role. I remember once, uh, very very early on in my career, um, I went with information and in a survey that was done that was given to me by a lawyer, and the survey information turned out to be wrong. And the client decided when he had to abate the price that he should take it from my commission. <laughs> and, you know, it ended up, you know, I was working for, a, for a, a broker who, you know, said, no, that's, that's not right. And it ended up in court and the lawyer, the, sorry, the judge said to this man, was Richard's job surveying the property and walking the property? No, that was, you know, that was the surveyor's job. The surveyor made a mistake. So it has nothing to do with what Richard was doing. So, you know, Richard's job was to market the house. Did he market the house? Yes. Did you get offers? Yes. You know, did you sell the property? Yes. Well, that has nothing to do with surveying the property. So, it, you know, it was a very, it was a very interesting learning experience right away, which was stay in your wheelhouse. Great advice. I love it. We are seeing the court system rule in favor and support realtors in a really big way, a lot more now than they have in the past. 
um, and, and recognize the profession and recognize the, you know, the hard work that realtors bring to a transaction. So I, I, you know, I think that's a really big positive step in the industry as well. Huge. Yeah. Huge. Right. Much better. And, and luckily, you know, 43 years, that's the only problem that I've ever had, uh, you know, with, you know, through the legal system. But it's interesting, there's there's a number of realtors you'll talk to and they say, well, I did this and I was how I had went to that situation. Oftentimes, it's the minute they get out of their wheelhouse, that's when they get in trouble. So I just keep on telling new agents, just stick to just know what your job is and do your job and do it the best you can. But don't get into, you know, emotional things or divorce situations uh, you know taking one side or the other your job is to sell the house your job has nothing to do with the husband the wife the kids it's just your job is to sell the property and get them the best place possible that's it well the courts should support real estate agents and i'm all in favor yeah. of that because the agents you know every every listing agent they're signing and every agreement of purchase and sale they're that they're negotiating it's it basically says i only get paid as a real estate agent upon successful completion mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. getting an agreement signed in only if the transaction closes right exactly. they're already putting themselves out there like my job is to get this closed not just sold on paper but it's got to get closed otherwise i'm agreeing that i don't get paid it's different from my profession. I want to get paid whether it closes or doesn't get closed, but I'm getting exactly. paid for my time and effort. It's different, right? Yeah. But for you agents, you only get paid upon successful completion. So do it right, get it closed. And because that always should be the focus, right? It's It should be. You want it should qualified be, especially- buyers, qualified sellers, get it closed. Yeah, and stay out of the personal issues. There's because oftentimes uh, selling a property is very, 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 you know, stressful, stressful on the parties involved, either they're buying or they're selling. And you just have to remember what it is your job is. And that is the marketing of the property and getting the best price possible. That's your fiduciary duty to the buyer and the seller. And and above and beyond that. It's it's not your it's not your job. You really have to be aware of it. Um, Richard, you're a technology lover, you know, you, you, uh, reading a lot about you online, you look a lot of, uh, you look at a lot of new technology. You, uh, you mentioned that you implement and you try a lot of new things. Um, tell us some of the technological trends you are seeing in the industry. Well, um, my biggest hope is that I, I get cloned very fast. You know, I want somebody to clone me so that uh, I'm not doing all of the jobs. And uh, so I'm seeing a little bit more of that. I'm seeing, um, you know, I'm, I'm now working with a company that's uh, uh, called Sales Tool Pro. And what it is, is a, a sale, uh, a CRM. And rather than, you know, customer relationship management, rather than getting up in the morning and looking at your screen and it says, call so-and-so, call so-and-so, call so-and-so, or it's so-and-so's birthday, or it's, you know, Easter or whatever, whatever the Passover, the ho- whatever the holiday is. Um, this basically, once you set it up, it sends those messages out to your clients automatically. Happy birthday. Are you having a great time? And it's not the reminder that you get, it's the response that you get from your client now. So it just takes one step away from 
the from from you in the morning so that list of things that you have to do in the morning that you never really get completed uh gets done automatically so i'm looking at the next stage of that which is cloning myself completely and i can you know be on a beach someplace <laughs> but uh you know there's there's some really interesting things out there that there's a lot of noise on social media these days there's a lot of people out there I was one of the early adopters of social media. I remember teaching agents, you know, 15, 20 years ago and having people say to me, a website? Do we really need a website? You know, and then cellular phones. And, uh, you know, I, I was the big one of the big one that you carried around. And, uh, but, you know, as long as it makes my life easier, I'm fine. I, I you know, I love all this technology that can help me achieve more during the same time period. I think that's what's really important. And uh, there's some great stuff. I'm very lucky. Um, there's a, there's a, a group uh, called Reach and it's across Canada. There's a, a number of people who are mentors for technology companies. I'm part of that group. It was set up originally through the National Association of Realtors. And now there's a, con, uh, you know, a Canadian version. And um, it's, you know, there's a lot of different companies that come to us. We look at about 10 or 15 companies a year that have products that they want to sell to realtors. And they come to us for us to review them, for us to give suggestions to them, just strictly on a mentor, uh, mentee kind of a situation. And that that's really interesting because there's a few of them that I think, yeah, these are brilliant. I'd, I'd love to see them happening. Part of the thing about Inman you mentioned is in, I, you know, I, I don't know, I, I'm an original Inman person. So I think I was the first one, maybe somewhere between 15 and 20 years ago, I went to my first and the number of uh, technology companies that have come and gone and come and gone and lasted and not lasted and changes and you know come over the hill and not not made it up up the hill uh it goes on and on there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff out there that has gone by the wayside so finding the right things that you think are going to work and assisting them uh to get to get the proper coverage and to get the proper usage uh at the end of the day it's very very important it's very important i think the successful ones that have staying power in the technology uh, advancements are ones that that are really tools to be used by real estate agents to make their yeah. lives easier and allow them to work even when they're on the beach in Puerto Vallarta and sell yeah. real estate in the GTA, as opposed to the technologies <laughs> that are being developed with the intention of replacing real estate yeah. agents. Like you don't yeah. need an agent; you just go online, pick your property, negotiate your price. It's all there for you. Like, do you see that day coming or are those the ones that are going to fall by the wayside because we need technology as a tool for today's real estate agent? You know, I think there's always going to be those people who want to take the property, take the, the job away from the realtors and make it something that uh, is totally automated. It doesn't seem to have taken traction ever. Uh, there's always been some some new toy that's come across, uh, and at the end of the day, it's facilitated our information. But at the end of the day, they still come to you and they ask you the questions. They really, you know, people want to, for the most part, um, get the advice of a good of a good realtor. I mean, 
you know, I'm in Mexico, I'm a realtor. I still, I, you know, I, I find a realtor who I think I knows what they're doing, going to get the job done and I get them to do the job for me. Yes, I could do it myself, especially there because you don't really need licensing, but you know, I, there's, there's a lot of stuff because it's not something I'm new to. I don't understand how, how their system works, how a system works. I still need a realtor. I needed a realtor to buy and I'll need a realtor to sell in that, that country. And so here, I think it's the same thing. There is so much information. You need a realtor, you need a lawyer, you need an accountant. Um, always, you know, I don't think any of those jobs will ever be, you know, will be ever be transmitted to uh, technology. The actual, at the end of the day, you need, you need to have the person to advise you. Well said and well spoken, because I think that's the fear that some people have with with technology. Like, yeah. you know, I want the person if, I, if we if we encourage the technology too much, it's there to replace us. But it's not in my profession, no. too. When title insurance came in 30 years ago, I know Australia, I, was, I remember. Oh, that's going to no more lawyers. Title insurance is coming in. We're just going to use a system of title insurance and you don't need lawyers. So no lawyers will be practicing in real estate anymore. Well, it's 30 years later and, and we're still here. Uh, be, now the title insurance is very important. Like, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's really good, but it doesn't do what we do. There's differences and we have to use their technology. We have to adapt, right? Well, I was very involved in the, you know, the opening up of the, um, uh, the electronic signatures because I was, I was one of the first users of DocuSign. It was actually a, uh, a DocuSign came to me and they asked me to try and use it. And of course, you know, getting the electronic documents to the lawyer and them saying, no, 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 no. It has to be wet signature. It has to be the client has to come into my office. It's been very interesting over the past two years with, with COVID where the client hasn't been able to go to the office. And all of a sudden, you know, the lawyer has got to use some sort of signature program like DocuSign. And it's changed. Uh, you yeah. know, it took us a long time. Remember, the Electronic Signatures Act that we use in this province was first legislated in 2001. Wow. And it's only now that we are getting full use of electronic signatures through, you know, through both the buying and the selling of, of property and actually the trend, you know, the transmission of the property as well. So yeah. I, I, I give, I give it to you. I hand it to you lawyers. You're a little bit slow on the mark, but. <laughs> no, we are still like you in your yeah. end of the transaction, you've been using DocuSign for a long time. And, and we really at our end to close a transaction, we couldn't use real electronic signatures until COVID happened. And all of a sudden, yeah. Uh, you know, things change. And then we were allowed to use documents. Electronic signatures were okay, but not if something had to be sworn. If it was a declaration exactly. or an affidavit, we couldn't. But but then COVID, the government said, okay, we got to find a way to get around that too. And in our office, we just said, okay, whatever, whatever we needed before there was a sworn document, forget it. We're just going to say, I certify that this is true instead of I swear that it's true. And then the government passed all of a sudden overnight. Okay, you, we, you can take a sworn document through video conference as long as you do A, B, and C. Okay, so, and then we're never going back. The genie's out of the bottle. No, we're not. Yeah, genie's out of the bottle. Well, it's like it's like crypto. Okay, yeah, everybody says, to, "Oh well," and now we're now we're going to buy and sell real estate in crypto. And I go, "Yeah, I can see me going to a lawyer 
and giving him a document where the property has been bought and sold in crypto. And the lawyer saying, well, that looks really nice, but we have to convert all the crypto to dollars and cents and cash before we do the transaction. So, uh, you know, that's another one that I think people are thinking, oh, yeah, that's going to be the next thing is everybody's going to be buying and selling in crypto. Well, you know, it's going to be a big learning curve for all of us uh, if that's the case, because a lot of, you know, the transactions, even the transactions that I've heard of, uh, you know, Everything has to be, yes, it, it can happen in crypto, but the actual closing and the deposits and the cash has to be converted into cash. Right. We first certified before it does. funds. Yeah, certified so funds. Yes, yeah, so now you're converting it from crypto to cash, and then you're going to convert it back to crypto after. Like it's, we it's, have to work on yeah. that one a little bit, Richard. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, I'm going to buy my next house in gold. I'll, I'll buy it in gold. And gold bricks, yeah. you got that. Gold bricks, yeah. I think the United States is a little further ahead of us because I mean, I know there's uh, escrow companies that actually specialize in 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 the conversion of crypto. In crypto. So yeah, in California, where you know a lot of this originated, and and you know there's a lot more money and a lot more uh, at stake when it comes to cryptocurrency. But you know it's one of those trends that again people are talking to and paying attention, and it's uh, it's pretty mainstream, you know, and uh, a lot of people are getting behind it in a big way. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you know even if you mention the word escrow in Canada, most people shake their head; they don't know what you're talking about. But I know that the property that I'm buying in Mexico, it, it's all based on, on escrow. And so the money has transferred into the escrow account. And then tomorrow it'll, you know, transfer over to the seller through the escrow account. I'm, you know, it's t- totally unfamiliar to me because I'd never bought in, you know, in the U.S. or, in, well, I actually, I did buy in the U.S. many, many years ago. But um, I, I can't remember that it was, I think we did it through lawyers as well at that time. It was in California, and I think they use it. They have a lawyer-based system. Uh, now, in the United States, for the most part, a lot of the transactions are done through through um, title companies and through escrow. And, and you, you know, you don't come to face-to-face with your lawyer. It's quite interesting. Yeah, in 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 Quebec we do notaries. In uh, Mexico they do notaries as well. So the the, the lawyer will make uh, suggestions as to the legal legality, but it's the actual closing that happens through the uh, through a notary. Right, right. Different systems in the U.S. It's, it's every systems. state regulates their own systems. So some are complete title insurance systems, and the lawyers have. You still have a role depending on the property, but sometimes mm. it's a it's a much more marginal role yeah. that they play, and it's standardized forms, standardized agreements, standardized escrow documents. There isn't a lot of negotiating um, in the forms. Well, even in Canada, in Quebec, they don't have common law. They have you know it's based on Napoleonic systems, so you know you cannot be a common law spouse in Quebec. Uh, that you know you don't get married, you don't get married. That's it. But here in, in Ontario, you know, you have the common law, um, you know, three years or issue, I think it is, which I, which I love that terminology, issue being a child. So after one year, if you have issue, which is a child, uh, you know, you're common law married. But, uh, you know, it's very, very, it's, it's interesting. Laws, law as you travel around is, is fascinating. 
Oh, and it changes too. So yeah. we're very interested in, to uh, see you tomorrow, Richard. So, you, so just give us a, a rundown of, of what you're doing tomorrow. Cause I know you, you're, you're, you're on a few different panels. You're moderating. I'm moderating mostly. I'm only actually sitting on one panel and that's the panel on legends, which <laughs> we know, we, we know what a legend is. <laughs> you get to a certain age or length of time. So you become a legend. Um, but no, one of the first ones I'm moderating, which is really exciting, is uh, from some of the young, the young, you know, newer guys who are doing really, really, really well. And they have different sort of business models. So we're going to look at the business models. We're going to talk to them. We're going to find out. It's going to be a lot of rapid sessions. They're, the sessions are like half hour. Um, it's going to be a lot of information. Uh, the second one I'm doing, I'm doing one with um, uh, Natasha. Uh, Koifman, uh, she's been involved in a new project that's happening and there's a different kind of marketing that's going around it. Uh, and, uh, you know, she's going to be on the panel. They have, uh, you know, somebody from Lanterra. Then I'm doing another session. I'm part of a group of high net worth uh, individual uh, agents. So a lot of us deal with the high net worth people and we use a system called Realm Global. And that's going to be very, very interesting. Realm Global, it's not the realm that the Toronto Real Estate Board is talking about. It's another one. It's, um, it's an organization of, uh, that's real estate agnostic as far as brand is concerned. So we've got a hundred and some odd different brands who are members of Realm. And it basically allows us access to a high net worth database called WealthX which basically tracks the top 500 people uh, in the world um, who are, you know, multimillionaires and billionaires and basically tells you what it is they own, where they own, what they buy, what they sell, what their hobbies are, um, and all the people who are involved with them on boards, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it can give you an in to connect with that person, give you information before you meet them. And God knows, sometimes um, you deal with somebody who has uh, quite a bit of money and you have to sort of have an idea of what are their interests? What are they not interested in? You know, do they, do they like lake properties? Do they like farms? Do they like cars? Are they car collectors? Are they watch collectors? Um, you know, so it gives you a way of touching base with them. Or you can pick up the phone and I can call David Gorski and I say, David, I see you're really good friends with so and so. You know, can you introduce me to them? Because I have a property that I think will be great for them. Amazing. So, yeah, so it's a very interesting uh, group and that's Realm Global. And we're going to be talking to those people and, and also, um, you know, there, there are people like myself who have made a, a hobby of, you know, going to conferences, meeting people, uh, networking, um, and, you know, I tease people and I say I, I would go to the opening of an envelope, but it's it's pretty much true, um, you know, because networking is, is, you know, it's a great source of business for all of us. And, uh, and you know, and so... That is uh, one of the things we're going to be talking about. There's other great, there's a session. I think you're doing a session on the PREC, aren't you? Uh, yeah. 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 So yeah. personal really. Yeah. Which has been great for me because I've been, I have been terrible about 
my business and, and establishing what's personal and what's business. And now it's so much easier with a prec. It's so much easier with a, a business, um, you know, credit card, a business account. And uh, it just, you know, it much more professional than, than I've ever been in, in my life about my real estate, you know, my real estate business. I mean, you guys, uh, I guess, as a real, as a lawyer, have been doing it for years, and it's been able. You've been able to be incorporated. And, yeah. But for yeah. realtors, it's it's a big learning curve. There's a learning curve for us too. It's not that many years, and and we were allowed to do yeah. it, and and doctors and dentists, and yeah, and and why not a real estate agent? So it was a long time coming. And once it's well, set up and you start getting used to it, you, you, you know, it really makes yeah. a lot of sense and it actually yeah. makes your life easier and it certainly makes you much more tax efficient. That's, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. And also, you know, what, what I like about it more is um, it, it seemed that everything, everything I did went into a great big pot of both personal and business. And I never really realized what the difference, I mean, yes, I had to keep, track of all my expenses and what you know but this makes it much more business-like and much more much more understand much more understandable and uh, you know it's been a long time coming and I think it'll help with the professional professionalism in the in the businesses you know having a having a personal real estate corporation yeah no that's uh, that's a session that we're really looking forward to and we're Me actually too. A, a really great uh, accountant with with us as well, Brett uh, uh, Straitman from uh, SLF, and, and he's phenomenal. And uh, I, I can't wait to hear his perspective. And um, it's going to be a great session. There's going to be a lot of really great sessions tomorrow. I'm really looking. Oh forward. yeah, oh yeah. There's going to be tons of stuff. I mean, there's always people who are going to say, "Oh, I, you know, I didn't get anything out of that conference." But I think if you just come with an open mind and you listen. Uh, you know, I know I'm going to learn a ton of stuff, you know, by listening to other people and asking questions. And the other thing I think is really, really important is the attitude you have when you get to the location. And I always say that going to a conference is like going to the prom. If you stand on the sidelines, you're never going to meet the love of your life. But if you get into the middle of the room and you start dancing with everybody, you know, there'll be, there's a good chance that you might meet that person. So, I mean, I think what, what people do is they go and they spend a lot of time, oh, you know, they haven't seen this person. And so they spend the day with a friend, spend days with people who aren't friends, spend the time with people who, you know, you don't know, but maybe you're interested in knowing and, uh, you know, make that step. Don't just stand in the sidelines. Uh, you know, I think, I think, you know, these are networking events and uh, networking is the, is, the, is the primary word. Richard, if I only had you as my wingman when I was in high school, I think I would be better <laughs> off. <laughs> I'm sure you did fine, David. I'm sure you did fine. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's, I was, I, seriously, the, the reality was I, was I was an overweight kid uh and so most of my high school i was the person standing on the sidelines <laughs> and uh, watching everybody have a great time so i i think that's why i could be critical of it yeah thank, thank god the high school is not an indication of real life because uh i i <laughs> well, i would be in trouble 
Yeah, it's it's interesting, but you know what? The it's those are learning times. This is the times you you actually learn, and you say, "Yeah, this is this is what I like. This is not what I like." And those are those are great years uh, to establish your personality. And uh, well, truth be told, I was in the middle of the room, and I found my wife, oh. uh, the love of my life. You know, forty two years later, but we were yeah. in high school at the time because I did get in the middle of the room so to speak. And uh, so I'm a living example that that works. See? Well, perfect. Perfect. It happens. It happens. It happens. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and, and David, I won't ask about your uh, high school uh, experiences, but uh, you know, <laughs> you were, you were probably the, the jock. Let's leave those conversations for in person for tomorrow. <laughs> with a, with a beer, forever. with a, with a beer in hand, right? With a beer in a hand. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Richard, thank you so much for jumping on today. Like it was honestly a, a great conversation, and, and and great to really tap in into your experience, and it, it shows every step of the way. Um, you know, thank you for everything you've done for the real estate industry as well. Pleasure. You know, you've given back a lot and, and, and I know that you're going to continue to give back a lot as well, but I look forward to meeting you tomorrow at the buzz. Um, really looking forward to it, actually. Face, face to face, your first time in two years, face to face. Yeah. Whoever thought that that would be, you know, something we'd be living with. Did we ever think that? Never. No. You know, all of a sudden to actually be able to talk to people without a mask on or with a mask on. By the way, tomorrow masks are optional. It's up to you, personal decision, whether you wear a mask or not. Uh, Mississauga has lifted their requirements for masking. So, you know, just make sure you do your own thing and, and, and you know, be careful. But I'll be out there uh, saying hello to everybody. All right. Very All good. Right. Thanks, we'll Richard. This has early. been great. Pleasure. See you tomorrow. All right. Bye -bye. Best wishes. Bye.